Hello, 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 and welcome to the Imaginary Movie Podcast, a podcast where we watch a movie and then we talk about it. My name's David, and get three coffins ready. My mistake, four coffins. My name's Sam, and every podcast has a boss, but when there are two around, I'd say there's one too many. Which is why we've done away with Ross, um, who will not be here on this week's episode. We shot him just then, you heard it. Um, That's what he gets. <laughs> so apologies from Ross. So it's back to just me and you, Sam. Oh, this is it. This is the this is the the intimate version of the podcast. Just me and Dave. Oh the yeah, OG. It's, it, it's about to get wanky up in here. Um, <laughs> this week, this week, uh, we had a bit of a scheduling change. Um, instead of watching Hangem High, um, Clint Eastwood's first uh, solo sort of solo production, so to speak, um, we watched A Fistful of Dollars for a very important reason. Uh, we couldn't rent Hang'em High. You have to buy it on Amazon for eight quid. <laughs> and yes, listener, we are all that cheap. Absolutely. <laughs> we watched the Fistful of Dollars for free. So yeah. um, we we did consider like, could we just share one of our logins? Is that a good? And then we could like split the eight pounds. But it just seemed the whole thing just seems far just too. The idea of entering a password and an email, and I know what Ross does no. with passwords. They're all like eighteen characters long. It's. <laughs> I can't be doing it, so I'm honestly, I'm not... Please try and guess Ross's password. I can't keep it. Um, but we watched this, 1964 Four. Four film, um, directed by uh, Sergio Leone, uh, which may or may not be the correct pronunciation of a man. I think it's Sergio Leone, but go on, keep Sergio going. Sergio Leone, um, and starring Clint Eastwood. Um, if you haven't heard of this film, I guess, like, did you not have a dad or a granddad or an uncle or, like... You know, a man in the house who was into westerns. <laughs> mm. Well, I'd heard of it, but I'd never seen it. So this is this was a, a new one for me, and it was a, it was. I mean, it was a. It's a great movie. You know, let's let is it is one of those films that is an absolute classic. It is revered as as ushering in the 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 the, the, the kind of spaghetti western, but also a kind of grittier western that that rejected some of the fifties. Uh, you know, shine of, of oh, like definitely, definitely, um, and we'll get. I think we'll get into a, a sort of a, a decent discussion about westerns in a second. Um, but this is kind of like this film is remembered. I think less on its own merit and more on on the the sort of trilogy of films which it's part of. Mm. Um, the sort of the last one being obviously the next the next film is A Fistful More, um, and the the third film is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is you know it's, it's put, um, definitely in my mind like one of the preeminent westerns of this era you know that yeah. this is the fistful of dollars is a really good good film but the good the bad and the ugly is a great film and i think it's kind of like the you know it's the third film that um eastwood and leone did together and and they've really found their way by that film and it's long mm. and it's indulgent and there was a lot of like the literal mexican standoffs um but it's it's the trilogy as a whole that's kind of like made that impact on cinema i think yeah yeah and that'd be a good film to do one day definitely um in the fistful of dollars we see a a kind of wandering gunfighter who plays two rival families against each other in a town called san miguel the town not the beer um san miguel and, pay, us. <laughs> pay us and then we kind of see how him playing these two families together off each other sorry results in a whole load of shit <laughs> Stuff that he doesn't really intend or want to happen. Twenty or but, thirty but it's a, Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good. Um, it's quite a classic story. Obviously, there, there is a, 
uh, you know, Capulet and Montague feel. I was going to say there's almost a Shakespearean sort of vibe to this. I mean, yeah, and that's not definitely. like reinvent the wheel. This isn't. This isn't maybe. This is not a complex plot whatsoever, and I think that's kind of like is part of well, this, this film and the genre. Yeah, you, you you say that, but I I did and I don't and again this is maybe just me being pretty tired last night after a, a long week at work. I was I was like really confused for most of this movie <laughs> until until the end where I went, oh right, I see, I, I'm, I'm I'm getting where they're going with this. And there was about 20 minutes left. I thought, right, Sam, this is not... I don't think this is the movie. I think this is you. <laughs> I think, I think you're just tired. And also, you've kind of got history of, like, not being what's the word, the sharpest tack in the, in the, in the box in terms of stuff oh, like Thanks, this. man. That's great. I mean, look, Ross I, is here I to know, roast I me. know you're an intelligent man, Sam, but, you know, you, you're not always the most attentive. <laughs> great. Yeah, carry on. Carry on, Dave. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, enjoy no enjoy uh, podcasting by yourself. I'm going to go. <laughs> Perfect. This is what I've wanted all along. Um, so on westerns, then I think well, let's jump into westerns before we talk about this film because I think we're really going to talk about the production of it more than more than the content. I think. Um, but you mentioned that this kind of like is a so technically in in the west the grander western genre, uh, this is this is what's referred to as a spaghetti western, um, which is a western that was made in Italy um, in the most imaginative naming. That was something ever. that I didn't know until a few years ago. I remember learning that and thinking, that makes sense. I don't know why. I, I don't know what they. Um, I, I don't know why I thought they called them spaghetti westerns before that. I think that's probably my brain was like, unless you Google that, I have no idea. So, so yeah, please don't can, even bother. I can kind of understand that. It's it's a confusing thing. I think because in our lifetime, you know, there have been westerns, and I think there have even been like some of the great westerns, but. Oh, none of them in the in the same vein as this or in the same vein as a classic western so a mm. classic western to bore the shit out of all of our listeners because I'm a nerd your classic western is your sort of like uh, you know um, your white hat black hat kind of thing you've got one hero who is represents yeah. all of the good virtues and exists to you know go around shaking hands and kissing babies and saving damsels and he doesn't want anything for himself other than to do good you know uh, you know, we're, think, so we're talking John Wayne, aren't we? We're talking basically. like the John Wayne westerns, you know. And I, I'm not the world's biggest fan of the John Wayne westerns, not because they're bad, but I think because I'm more in love with this grittier, harder, more sharp-edged sort of mm. western. Which, and I think that, sorry, just I, I think that's why I never really got into westerns that much because the westerns that I kind of uh, have seen were all of those type of things because they were on on a Sunday afternoon on BBC Two or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the that's the exposure because they were friendly and they weren't violent. And I think as an adult, the westerns that I've come to like are the grittier ones, the ones that are much more violent, more realistic, and you know that. And that's maybe something that you don't see as a kid. No, definitely. And I mean, no, no responsible parent is really going to um, let their <laughs> child do that really um so yeah so the john wayne westerns like i said it's 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 very black and white and you know i think that there is real merit in that but i don't think you can have as interesting a story if you've got like a, a flawless character mm. Um, mm. so then you have that, films well, that made this era um sorry before you go on sam just like this this film is quite often touted as the first spaghetti western mm-hmm. um which is like it's a bit of it's a bit of a tricky one really because there was about I think you know there were dozens of westerns made in Italy before this film but this is the first one that really hit it big in the United States. Yeah. 
yeah and and, and that's the difference isn't it between um the, the real line in the sand between this classic western with john wayne and jimmy stewart and even even people like Marlon, Marlon Brando and stuff, where you've got a much more of a, you know, as you say, white hat character who is, um, although that's, I think that term's a bit out of date now, isn't it? We need to maybe update our... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's just in terms of, like, the reason it sticks with me is because if you remember Westworld, that it's something that they harp on about in the first season yeah. of that. They use it as, like, a it's a good visual motif yeah. that they no. use to establish, you know, good versus evil, which, you know, mm-hmm. films used to do. Um, and it's just like, especially for westerns, I think it's applicable to older westerns because, you know, it's what you're seeing on the on the screen, and it's just a sort of a, the easiest shorthand for these characters. Yeah, and then we move after after this point to the the the, the kind of grittier western, the westerns that we that we've watched today, and 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 as we've spoken about, the ones that I think we connect with more, where they're kind of reacting against. The, the the westerns of the 50s where they're trying to be grittier so we've got the dollars trilogy which is which includes this film as, as the kind of first one fairly low budget fairly um as you said shot abroad so maybe spaghetti western or, or maybe in spain and places like that and that's where i think we start to see that anti-hero character come out that that real um you know kind of gray area of of what the west was like and also probably we create a lot of the imagery that we recognize from westerns as well we've had you know we've had the the kind of walking into the sunset but i think a lot a lot more of the violence a lot more of the brutality of the west is portrayed on the film on the screen in these films and that gives us i think a lot more of that um that kind of cultural reflection of of what's happening um, yeah, in definitely. the 60s and 70s as well. There's a term yeah. for this, really, this this phenomenon. Um, and it's... I wouldn't necessarily say that the Dollars Trilogy is quite a revisionist Western, which is what a lot of the Westerns we see these days are. Um, they're kind of like a stepping stone between, because, I mean, think about this film. Clint Eastwood's character is still... You know, he's still quite benevolent. Like, he's trying to make a book, but at the same time, he's also trying to work to save this woman and to help out this... Um, this 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 pub landlord as well mm-hmm. and so there's kind of still an aspect of like he's not totally amoral um so it's yeah. kind of like a stepping stone to maybe some of the later films i mean the big example i can think of is clint eastwood's career um in in revisionist westerns he goes from making stuff like this to the last western he made was unforgiven i think in in 85 and that's a movie where um he's an alcoholic retired an ex-alcoholic, ex-gunslinger who's retired who ends up getting dragged back into it. And, you know, the, the kind of message of that film is that, you know, all of these gunslingers were frauds or uh, murderers and um, Clint Eastwood's character has almost no redeeming qualities, commits loads of murders at the end, but for no other reason than he wants to commit loads of murders. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like this wonderful sort of inversion of, of some of his earlier stuff and some earlier westerns as well, where almost none of the, the protagonists of that film are redeemable and and that's kind of like a hallmark of the revisionist western is 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 presenting these people who kill for money as you know people who kill for money and it's kind of like a it's a nice refreshing like i said it's grittier it's darker and 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 it kind of proves that old thing that you don't necessarily need to think that the people you're watching in the film are good people in order to root for them yeah yeah 
and and so we come to this movie we come to Fistful of Dollars where Clint Eastwood who I think said that he'd he'd kind of tried to play the the the, the gallant western character um, he was on uh, he was on Rawhide wasn't he was Rawhide quite a, quite a long well I'll say long running quite a quite a successful um, western TV show in America yeah here we are um, and just for our listeners again, never heard of it haven't seen it Sam um for our listeners, if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Leonardo DiCaprio's character's arc in that film is basically Clint Eastwood's life. Yeah. Um, because he goes from starring in this TV show to like struggling in for other roles and being typecast, and then goes to Italy to make a load of westerns and comes back this kind of like this star with loads of money and do you know what I mean as as a as a face when he sort of has left as a you know someone on a downswing. Um, so just an interesting thing if, if you happen to have seen that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he, he moves, he goes to this film and he wants to make, he wants to be the anti-hero. But I think breaking into this was quite difficult for him, wasn't it? And, and I don't think he was, the, I don't think he was um, even the, the fifth choice of, of actors who um, could have turned down a I think Henry Fonda was first sought by uh, Leone. And obviously that that didn't work because he didn't, you know, it's Italy, and, and then it went Charles Bronson, um, and I think there were fair various other names that were kind of James Coburn. I cannot imagine it. it's Charles Bronson's voice in this was just absolutely slow. I know. I can imagine Henry Fonda. I can imagine Henry Fonda. But there's a nice quote from James Coburn who said, "Hey, you guys, what's with it, this crime?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it was it James? Co- sorry, Richard Harrison. Sorry, excuse me. Who said that? Um, quote: Maybe my my greatest contribution to cinema was not doing a fistful of dollars and recommending Clint Eastwood for the part. <laughs> Which, when you think about, you know, if Clint Eastwood hadn't had this break here, I think the Western genre would be would be very different. He he becomes synonymous with 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 those type of films. You know, maybe to his chagrin. But I think it's interesting that Clint, Clint Eastwood was was really not the cho- not the the primary choice for this but has you know and through this movie developed a really really interesting um career and typifies the western character now you know if you think of a western actor you think Clint Eastwood maybe even more think, so even if you visualize it you think of the man with no name who's the protagonist in these films exactly you know, with the hat and the poncho and the you know chewing on a cigar and, and that goes you know all the I mean? way up to Red Dead Redemption doesn't it and all these games all you know this 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 tantalizing view of the western and that's actually what i find most interesting about the western genre itself and we'll get to let's get to the film very soon but i think that it's it's like the iconography and it's the feel of the western and, and i'm always i'm really curious as to why it has retained its um cultural significance so for so long you know and these westerns go back all the way to the the the, the, the 19th century they're not they're not new people are making westerns for for hundred years but what we haven't done is kind of lost that interest and that draw and I think this film brings it all together in a way that you you get the good you get the morality tale but you also get the gray you also get that that more modern sensibility about how you know people have to get through in life and and how there are good guys and bad guys but there's also these people in the middle who are kind of floating around looking to to make a buck and I think that's a good, it's kind of a good starting point for this film, isn't it? No, totally. Um, so, so let's get into talking about this film, Sam. Let's talk about 
um, I guess the plot first and foremost mm. in maybe a bit more detail so so it's quite sparse in a way which I kind of like we get opening credits for a start um, which is, is kind of like a timestamp on movies these days love uh, opening credits I think for some reason the Ghostbusters was one of the first films in 85 um, that, that, that sort of subverted the, the code that said you had to have credits at the beginning of your film yeah, um, and that's now like the norm really but obviously in the 60s we get to have this kind of like um, it honestly looks like the introduction to a Red Dead Redemption game like you said it's like this this bright red and, and the, the graphics you know the, the font's the same and you get this like you know this the theme the theme that's really famous and I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll, mm-hmm. you'll have heard coming into the episode um, you know the theme of, of, of this movie and it kind of like you just get to see this reel of names um, which is quite interesting as usual um, not a lot of famous people in this movie, just to, just to note <laughs> at the time. No, but did you notice? Did you notice in the opening credits that there was a um, a credit for a script girl? I did see that, and I thought, ah, the sixties. Well, so <laughs> um, did I. And then I have since been yeah. been misinformed, reinformed, informed. It's that's effectively the script supervisor. That's kind of who it is, and that's and, and I think. Um, Almost, almost like a secretary to the director who's photographing each scene, prompting actors. You know, it's a really important job, um, the script supervisor, is to basically keep everyone on track and to make sure that people are saying what they need to say, almost like a continuity thing as well. Yeah. But just to, just the fact that it's called a script girl, I think is like... It just sticks out to you in, in I mean, 2020, I'm, doesn't it? I guess Best Boy, you know, is, is a similar type of thing where yeah. it's this kind of old-fashioned um, language that's, that's still with us. You know, but I just yeah, really that was that was fun. I like that. <laughs> it was fun. Um, so I'm just going to rattle through the plot here um, and the various plot beats, and then we can get more into the the you know the visuals and, and the sounds and everything like that because there's some interesting <laughs> stuff there. Um, so we kind of jump straight in. Uh, we we meet Clint Eastwood's character. He's on a horse or a donkey, I believe, and and he rides into this town. He doesn't get a very good welcome and. Um, the innkeeper tells him, you know, don't stay here, you'll be killed, everyone's killed, you know, look at all these dead people, the only person making any money is the <laughs> is the undertaker. Um, and, and it's established to two Flint Eastwood's character, who again, is never named in this, um, that there are two rival families, the Baxters and um, the other family, whose name I can't remember, the Rios family? Yeah, the Rios. Um, yeah. Who were kind of like the two, just two big sort of gangs really in town. Um, and the Rios family are Mexican and the Baxter family are American and there's a lot of tension between the two of them but it, obviously neither of them is strong enough to overcome the other one and that's why like, you know, they keep enlisting anyone who passes through as kind of like a as muscle really in this in this gang war. Um, so that's established and then, and then Clint Eastwood obviously decides he can make some money out of this. Um, so he goes and shoots four people dead um, just to kick us off into this movie. As you do. <laughs> In a rather, in a rather like you know, perfunctory fashion as well, um, he goes to the Baxter's like uh, house and, and shoots these four bodyguards dead, um, and then he goes to the Rios place and sort of like ingratiates himself with them um, while sort of cracking a scheme to sort of make money off both sides, um, and that's kind of like the pivot of this film really um, is him him attempting to make money, uh, and there's a few other plots that run through it. I mean, we meet uh, at the beginning, we meet this this child um, who crying turns out his mother's being kidnapped by rios as like a you know in payment for some sort of debt he just takes this woman <laughs> um, and and about that's about as much agency as women in this film get just just fyi oh yes um 
and then the Rios people uh, double cross the Mexican army and murder a bunch of soldiers um, and and that then provides um, Clint Eastwood with sort of like a fodder for creating this, this showdown which happens at the end of the film where he um, takes two of these corpses, puts them in the graveyard and, and lets it be known to the Baxters um, and to the Rios family that these two soldiers have escaped um, the, the massacre. The Baxters are trying to get to these obviously mother know they're dead to these soldiers to to rescue them to so they can you know prove that the rios family um murdered all these soldiers and the rios family are trying to get there to murder to murder these soldiers so that so that they don't obviously flat about what's happened and that kind of leads us to such a high body count in this movie um and the sort of conclusion of which is that um you know eventually clint eastwood's character kind of um rides in and shoots everyone dead and we have like a, a, a fun sort of penultimate uh, some fun sort of a uh, final scene where he gets in a, in a gunfight with this with this main baddie rios mm. Mm. yeah i mean obviously there's more beats than that but I, I don't think it's worth sort of del delving further into it no no i i think it's not a particularly like there's nothing new necessarily in the story um it's it, it does it's kind of treading um, it's treading uh, kind of old uh, old ground a lot of ways um, death count by the way 109 so that's quite a lot isn't it but there is there um, is some interesting just, stuff just, around just as an aside Sam before we move on um, it's not the Rios family it's the Rojo brothers um, I apologise there and it's um, Ramon oh, Rojo, is, the sorry. Main, is the main Rojo brother sorry go on no, we'll, we'll edit that out. It's all good, seamless. So th there, there is some interesting stuff around the kind of um, this story, and it's it's t it's kind of credited, or maybe not credited, but it's uh, listed as a kind of unofficial remake of a um, Kurosawa movie called Yojimbo. The, and the English translation. And I've never that seen is, that. Um, they unapologetically stole it in the thought that this film yes. would not be big enough to basically to, to get the notice of Jap Japanese filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. So that, Yujimbo's from 2000, oh, sorry, uh, 1961. And this is obviously um, just a, a few years later. And and this ended up in the courts, which which is because it because it really is, you know, the, if you look at the plot, basic plot, so moving Yujimbo again, a film I've not seen, but I really, really want to because of, <laughs> um, because I think that the impact of this film it's, it's quite a classic and obviously Kurosawa being a really influential director so you can but you can see the the, the kind of plot similarities obviously um uh Yojimba based in uh the kind of uh, Edo period of Japan the kind of middle of the 19th century but that real uh kind of playing the families off each other and trying to kind of make a profit um I think he's one of the characters is a ronin who is a, a kind of a samurai who hasn't been associated with a with a family yet so there's just lots of there's lots of similarities there and i think and then did they eventually have to settle out of court i think for some ludicrous amount uh, they, in the 1960s like, of like 15 percent um, of the film's gross 15 percent of the gross yeah um which is quite a lot of money i think um, yeah and this this movie made it is and this movie made 14 million dollars in the u.s alone on a budget of two hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, plus it's plus it Italy as well. Crazy, really. You had a wee fact about Italian um, uh, movie kind of credits, didn't you? 
It's yeah, it's uh, especially of this era, and I'm, I haven't really looked into you know too much of the, the governance really, um, and maybe it's European uh, as a whole. But we have a really specific, there were, you know, there were nearly fifteen million admissions in Italy, but we don't actually get to know. <laughs> we don't get a dollar amount of the money made. We just get, and it's similar for the numbers from Spain. Um, we just get like a number of admissions to the cinema as opposed to like a dollar amount of money it made, which seems quite odd. But I suppose it's just one of those foibles of the 60s, really. And this sort of like fledgling Italian um, sort of, you know, film landscape. Yeah. I think tickets sold seems to be much more of a measure in Italy, doesn't it? Even now, when you compare it to, I mean, it's grossed as... It, the, 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 on the highest rating Italian films, there's there's tickets sold as a column. You know, uh, Titanic had 13 million tickets sold. Who knows you know, how many tickets sold? To, it, does to, it doesn't matter. It's just about the money, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, but no, it's certainly weird. And uh, it's kind of a weird production, this film, as well, to talk about. Um, so when you watch this film, I mean, I guess, I guess the first thing you really notice once you're, once you're into the film is number one, oh, this is Spain, isn't it? <laughs> this is filmed <laughs> in Spain. And my God, does it look like it was filmed in Spain? It really does. Um, like rather than the American West, and I, I guess there must be similarities. But you know, this this is this is Spain. Um, and then as soon as you hear people speak, you 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 know, I suppose maybe if you would if you didn't know to listen to it, you might just think that this is an old film and this is how old films are made. But the whole all the dialogue in this film is dubbed. Um, so which is kind of noteworthy they filmed this film silently they didn't record any sound yeah when they were filming it for a very important reason um because it was a joint italian spanish and west german production <laughs> um so like right off the bat right off the bat we have three languages we need this film to be in and then once you add english that's four so like, i think the actual actually the decision to then make this silently and dub all of the lines for each market is actually very clever because you know you're not having to you can get a shot a lot quicker if no one has to you know if someone flubs a line as long as their lips move up the right way you can just you can crack on yeah um, and, and this is this is how films were generally made in in italy um at that time so and, and to be clear they still spoke it in english like the characters are speaking english you can see their lip movements that match the english translation um clearly it was Clint Eastwood presumably didn't speak Italian, Spanish, or German, so he, he was well, he was speaking English as well. So uh, you are right, you are correct. <laughs> and Sergio Leone, yes, yeah, didn't speak English. Yes, at the time. So again, it's one of those happy happy. Um, you know, we did Lost in Translation a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 just I, imagine, I, you know, like Clint Eastwood only speaks English, and Sergio Leone only speaks Italian, and these two people like oh trying to tell your lead actor what to do and, and you don't share a language <laughs> i think it's i think it's just a classic um and it's probably one of those things that really led to better filmmaking in a lot of ways because everything has to be much more direct it has to be much more you stand there and do that and, and i think but the but the so the, it's 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 in english and then dubbed over in english which isn't i've never seen that before and it's one of those things that you kind of it kind of struggle to get used to a little bit. It, it does feel like you're watching a foreign film where you kind of have to adjust your senses a little first, bit to not be focusing on. the first on. half an hour, you kind of like you need to immerse yourself in that and get like said, get used to it. And it's kind of like watching a subtitled film. Like the first twenty minutes or so are usually the most difficult 
and then once you kind of like you, you've tricked your brain into this is how reality is it's okay yeah 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 and that la- that, that that language barrier i think um is again it's maybe not always a bad thing to have to have have that it maybe gives um like another element in terms of trying to create a sense of alienation for the actors Clint especially you can see the maybe the, the the distance that he's got from some of it which I think really works for that role um, that kind no, of definitely um, I mean that's a funny thing as I'm sure I think it's quite the day that um, Sergio Leone said of Clint Eastwood when he did this, when they did this first film and um, he said they didn't really need an actor for this role um, but they needed a mask and he said that was great because um, Clint Eastwood had had um, had uh, two sort of two tones to his acting with and without hat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and you know, it's funny to think say that now. Like Clint Eastwood is you know perhaps the most famous um, actor and, and filmmaker alive today, and his production company is still making films. And you know, he was still making appearing in films up until a couple of years ago. And yeah. you know, he was already in his thirties when he made this in the 60s you know and it's and to be fair though i could kind of see what he mean because he, he is quite monotone and i think that you know you jump, know in the way the that jumping the jump in his ability between this film and even even the next film on this trilogy is astounding he yeah he isn't good in this film really like he's doing well, he doesn't, enough he doesn't have a lot to do does he he doesn't have no. a lot to do and that's maybe one of the things in terms of like trying to be critical about this movie because it is wonderful and it is obviously defining and it really it really did create that western that we know and love you know that 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 kind of grittier darker western as we discussed but i think there is even for the 60s you really see the budget the low budget movie (laughs) coming through you you really see them how they spent the two hundred thousand dollars to make this movie there's so that you mentioned earlier the scene where they're in the graveyard and they basically take the spanish uh, sorry the uh, mexican soldiers that the the, the is that right the mexican soldiers yeah so the so the, the rojos have uh, sort of like uh yeah you know, so they, they, they to eastwood they've made a deal with the mexican army to buy guns from them that's it they kill the mexican army what they do is they kill all of these mexican armies so that and here's a great mob rule then you can keep the guns and the money yeah um and clint eastwood hide takes two of the bodies and puts them in the graveyard to kind of like you know, get the wheels moving on his 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 ploy to well to lure to lure the both the families there to shoot each other to exacerbate the problem and, and make them hate each other more. But there's a bit in it, and, and this is where I was confused because he puts the bodies there. They're sitting in this graveyard, sitting up against a gravestone, and looking very much like dead bodies. Looking incredibly like dead bodies, it, like from a distance you could tell that they were dead bodies. And so, if you imagine the, the 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 graveyard, the gravestone there, the bodies are facing towards you, and there's people coming in that direction, so where they can see the front of the bodies, and there's people coming in the other opposite direction where they can see behind them. And basically, uh, Clint Eastwood tells them that the the Mexicans are there. Maybe if we go speak to them, they'll tell they'll find tell us what happened. And so both of them go down to try and um, kind of kill. Well, it's a cool thing from Clint Eastwood, Sam. Sorry, he says to the Baxters, he says, he says, give me five hundred dollars, and I'll tell you something that'll help. You know that you'll like want to know. And so they give him five hundred dollars, and and he says, right, go to the cemetery. There's two, there's two soldiers there. They've got dirt on on the rojos. Yeah. And then he promptly leaves the Baxters and goes straight to the rojos and says, give me five. Whistling on the way. 
exactly like with five hundred dollars in his pocket, and I'd be, you know, I'd be in, in eighteen ninety or whenever this is, I'd be out of there. Yeah. Um, he goes to the row host and he says, he says, he says, um, you know, get, you know, for five hundred, I want five hundred dollars um, for some information. And they go, oh, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, the bats. There's two two soldiers in the cemetery, and the bats are going to go and, you know, take them in. And and that kind of like a, and then he has a, he has, he has a thousand bucks in the old west. Yeah, get out of town, man. There. You're done. Mm. So then he's kind of like there counting his money, smoking, and saying, "They're like, oh, do you want to come?" And he's like, "Why would I want to come? I've got loads of money." <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go blow it all on booze. So, but but the, the the bit that made me laugh and was a bit like, mm, is that the the dead soldiers are supposed to be alive, and everyone thinks they're alive, even if they're really really close to them. So they're having this shootout, and it's quite clear that they're dead. And then the Rojos shoot the soldiers, the dead bodies. And the the backs is like, oh, no, they got him. This is, this is one of my favourite scene, scene looks in the whole film, Sam. <laughs> and, and they're just like, um, what? I'm going to attempt to pronounce this guy's native name, Gian Maria Volonti, um, well who plays, the, who plays uh, Ramon Rojo in this film. Um, he jumps over these rocks. He kind of, like, rolls down this hill forwards, and then he, like, lands. He's got this rifle, and he, and he takes the name and shoots one of these bodies, and it falls over. And then he like camo rolls to the side and shoots the other one. Then he starts laughing, runs back up the hill to his buddies, and it's like the, the energy in that scene is absolutely wonderful. And that's really what sells this performance is largely is is Volante, I think, is really, He's really very good. There's a reason he appears in the second film as, as the as a different bad guy. It's because he is just electric to watch and he yeah. is really he he is he is he is buying everything he's selling. Mm. No, it is and, good. And, it is good, and and, is and, good. I, and I do like it. But, but I'm I'm gonna hold you back. I'm gonna hold you on the just. Who the hell thought these people were alive? It is mental. It is mental. And I know I'm There's not one for nitpicking. Some people didn't right? understand about dead bodies and um, you know what they look like. Um, I it's, think in defence, I do think Clint Eastwood leaves a few empty bottles around. <laughs> as if, like, but, but as what's if what's funny is there's this massive gunfight. There's this massive gunfight going on, and. These two bod- these two guys just remain the entire time, just chilling, just sitting there, chilling <laughs> next to this gravestone. Uh, anyway, anyway, but so, but my point is though, is that this is a low budget movie, and you can see some, you can see that definitely. You know, they've, they've got like two sets, the town, a, a couple of houses, three maybe, and then they go into the hills. You know, presumably ten minutes up the road from where they were, and that's about it. And and so you can kind of, it, it's very much a. It's not a bottle movie, but there's that sense of just being like contained. In, in it's not it's not the sprawling, uh, almost you know kind of uh, Lawrence of Arabia style. It's not an epic film. western. This yeah, it's kind of like a. And we're talking about it in the context of the effect it had on the industry and things. But I think as a standalone film, this is is kind of intended to be a fairly disposable like summer blockbuster western. Yeah, totally. You know, in in the rich tradition of a lot of the John Wayne stuff, where like. You know, it's it's under two hours long. Um, you get to come in. There's a couple of sexy ladies, and and the hero gets to shoot a bunch of Mexicans. Like, and we're out. Great, that's fantastic. That was really fun. Mm-hmm. I'll never think about that again. And that, and do you know what? I mean, obviously, like we're undermining that. We're going to do a podcast on it, but um, that's kind of where this film is coming from. You know, especially yeah. this first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think just I think we're probably getting close to to kind of finishing, but I think there's a. I'm interested in the critical response to this because in Italy it was um, completely panned 
completely panned by Italian critics. <laughs> and I think it's only in America where we see the the kind of like reaction and, and, and appreciation of what they were trying for. I think the 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 cheapness of it is maybe where everyone starts to um is, is the first point where everyone goes what because there's a quote here uh with with someone saying the kind of calculated sadism would be offensive were it not for the neutralizing laughter arrives by the ludicrousness of the whole exercise and <laughs> you can you can kind of see how this film was mocked it was mocked initially because it didn't really it didn't really do what was expected necessarily of a western movie it was almost a camp parody pastiche you know full of cliches and and really not and and Clint was 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 wooden and and didn't offer anything in terms of um a redeemable character and but just from i think from a production point of view some of this dubbing is dog shit yes and that this that child. must that must not have helped either no. but i think it's in it's in it's in looking back it's in looking back at the um the kind of the, the 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 revisionist i suppose review of this where it is completely revered as as one of the top westerns of all time you know in a way that i think that probably surprised everyone involved <laughs> i think it's yeah and I, I to crystallize that sam like this this film does not deserve its place in the pantheon of classics based on its content and i know that sounds really stupid and it is um but it's kind of like what this film set up and the fact that Sergio Leone went on to make uh, A Few Dollars More and, and The Good, The Bad and The Ugly and then of course Once Upon a Time in a West, the West and then of course all the other things that he's made. Like that's really what's made this film as noteworthy as it is and it's yeah. that movement again in the Westerns away from you know that black and white morality and, and more into the, these grey areas and Clint, it launched Clint Eastwood's career and, and, and again if I, maybe Clint Eastwood had gone away after 10 years maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation maybe you know maybe we wouldn't be looking back at this film as like you know the the sort of origin of all of these things that are very very present in, in, in the films that we watch um, so that's kind of why it's there because it's an important keystone in the development of revisionist westerns and in the development of obviously Clint Eastwood's career and in the development of Sergio Leone's career do you know what I mean? As as opposed yeah. to being a fantastic film on its own merits. Yeah, and, and I think I think where, where where it is a fantastic film, where it is a film that I think maybe tra- translated something new into a West into a, a, an American um, sensibility is is maybe some of the direction and the style of the film rather than necessarily as a content. I think the content is fine; it's okay, but it's more about how it's shot. And we all, we often talk about the citizens kane effect where if you watch citizen kane now you think well that was a cool black and white movie like all right but <laughs> without really without knowing the context in which it was made where we didn't have camera shots like this we didn't have you know we didn't use the screen in this way we didn't have cinematography in this way we didn't have effects in this way because this was in the mid 40s i think this is very 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 similar um, probably the most similar film that we've done that's similar to this because we have talked about the kind of Citizen Kane effect but this film it's use of close-ups you know it's use of um, 
uh, almost almost like photographs where we see a close-up of someone and then we see another one and another yeah. one and another one we see the whole kind of cast in close-up versus the 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 kind of wider shot or close-ups being more like reaction shots which is more traditionally how they were used we'd see how someone reacted through a close-up but we wouldn't necessarily see them doing something or we wouldn't see them you know as more of this kind of taking action taking control of a scene in that way all of these things i think is what it's remembered for but again unless you're removed from that i don't think you can necessarily know that at the time you know so when you when people look back and i think tarantino said um they called it the greatest achievement in the history of cinema <laughs> which which is <laughs> is maybe overstretching it but i think it does I think it's said something. Yeah. Though. It's it's the context of that statement. You know, I don't think anyone would be go- is going to bat at, to this, uh, you know, for this film as, you know, one of the best films ever made. However, this is a really really important piece influential. of history. You know, yeah, really influential from that point of view, and and kind of like, you know, Sergio Leone. We only would go on to kind of like revolutionize this genre. You know with the groundworks that we see in this film and like you say you know i don't think anybody can can contend that he isn't he wasn't a magnificent filmmaker you know just like i don't think anyone can really contend that clint eastwood wasn't a good you know a great actor it's you know maybe maybe this film is they're not quite there but you know the dna of it's there Mm. It's, it's so much of it's about luck isn't it you know when you when you when you talk about cinema so much of it is about luck is about is about blowing through all of those famous actors to get to this unknown guy who'd been in Rawhide. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then, and then from there, you're trying to create something very, very new from um, a film uh, from 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 a, from a genre that was really well trodden and didn't have those those kind of new expressions. Also, you're doing it in Italy for two hundred grand. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be the way to do it, to be honest, Sam. Maybe we should make a cult, uh, you know, a a defining movie, Dave. Maybe we could do it. You got two hundred. I've got six pounds forty-two to my name. Um, (laughs) Do you have the other hundred and ninety odd thousand pounds? No, I don't. But I I reckon Italy. Um, Also, COVID. If you heard of COVID, Um, any filmmaking experience? I guess just questions, Sam. Just throwing questions out there. I, I, I guess we'll just have to carry on podcasting then. (laughs) <laughs> cultural we defining podcast here we go anything fantastic <laughs> um i think we kind of like we, we, we've said all, all we need to say about this film really i guess i guess my question to you sam would be you know you enjoyed watching this i mean you've said that but any final thoughts any sort of like hot take here on this you know um 55 year old film it makes me want to watch more westerns and I, oh, I've got I, a list for you, don't worry. Oh, I'm sure you do. But and I think that's maybe again it comes back to that of that point of like this is this is this is the kind of proto western, the proto western that I I want to watch, you know, and I like I really like those those that, that genre movie and the brutality of them is and I think it would even extend to something like There Will Be Blood. You know, which is one of my favourite movies, and and that's where no, totally, totally. Um, that's where you see all of those things culminate, and, and how we go from the the man riding off into the sunset, 
to to films that are much more about you know the, the brutality so a film a film that, that in which in which you know there are no cowboys whatsoever yeah but but still that feel that, that no, no that, I, that. I totally agree that there will be blood is, is definitely like maybe maybe the finest example of a western made this century um Mm. You know, for a lot, for a lot of the same reasons, really. Um, I kind, I kind of find this one really fun. Uh, I, I'm obviously a bit more into westerns than I think you are, um, and there's absolutely no good reason for that. I think I watched this trilogy at uni, um, and I was like, oh, more of this, please. And I've since kind of watched a lot more than Eastwood films. Um, to the extent I think this film would probably rank like you know, fourth or fifth on the list of Clint Eastwood films. Clint Eastwood Westerns, I should add. Um, but it's fun. Um, it's kind of like a technical marvel. I love how it was shot silently. I love all the foley work, all the gunshots. I mean, it's not quote-unquote realistic, but, you know, by, by adding all of that sound in, in post, you know, it, it just allows it to be sort of like a cartoon. And I know that doesn't make it sound good, but you get a much more of a stylized film when you could do something like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I love, I genuinely, I do really look forward to watching some more of these movies, and it's maybe something we can explore. Well, on hopefully, um, hopefully, maybe I'll, maybe I'll look into acquiring <laughs> a copy of Hang 'Em High that we can, we can, you know, watch at some point in the future. Because um, the reason so, I want to do that film is because I think it's like five or six steps in front of this film in terms of being a revisionist western I mean it opens with Clint Eastwood being lynched um, for a crime he didn't commit mm. hello America um, and so like there's a lot more do you know what I mean it goes a lot more in that direction of like the west is a bleak and brutal and violent place uh, but I, you should definitely watch um, the second one of these and the good the bad and the other which is one of my favourite films ever Right, so definitely, and hopefully we'll um, resurrect Ross, it's definitely much for it, and, and we'll all see you next week. See you later.